Welcome to the Not Old Better Show Inside Science interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show is brought to you by Microdose.com. Microdose gummies. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And Sunday, as in GetSunday.com. A new kind of lawn care. Easier, smarter, better for people, pets, and planet. GetSunday.com. As part of our Inside Science interview series, we have an amazing interview with New York Times best-selling science writer Sally Aidy. Sally Aidy's new book is We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Body's Bioelectric Code and What the Future Holds. Thank you so much for listening today. We have got this wonderful program and interview with our guest, Sally Aidy, who I will introduce in just a moment with a reading from her new book. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 713th episode when I spoke to Lydia Fennett, who is a global thought leader, a best-selling author, and who has led auctions for more than 600 organizations raising over $1 billion in nonprofits globally. Lydia Fennett has written the fantastic new book, Claim Your Confidence. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Smithsonian Associate Neil Thies about his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation entitled Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being. Excellent subjects for our Not Old Better Show audience. If you missed those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. You can Google Not Old Better and get everything you need about us. <laughs> our guest today on the Not Old Better show, Inside Science interview series on radio and podcast, is science and technology journalist Sally Aidy. Sally Aidy's work has appeared in New Scientist, The New York Times, BBC Future, and The Economist. Sally Aidy was technology features and news editor at New Scientist, where she wrote long-form articles on how human minds and bodies intersect with the machines we create. Amazing stuff. Sally Aidy will tell us about her new book, We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Body's Bioelectric Code and What the Future Holds. She'll answer our questions about it, including, does our body have the power, the electrical current, to become our own batteries for cerebral spinal fluid to charge implants? And is there even need for a battery in our body? In the decades Richard Borgens spent fighting his battle, other researchers rapidly populated the periodic table of all the other cells that respond to ultra-weak physiological electric fields. Colin McCaig set out to build an unassailable body of evidence that nerves and muscles aligned themselves under a weak electrical field. He realized he needed to bolster his case for skeptics and that he could do so by showing that the so-called physiological field did the same thing in other kinds of bodily tissue. He recruited Anne Rainasek, Robinson's estranged protege, and Min Zhao, who had studied with China's top trauma surgeon, to move to Scotland and join his lab at the University of Aberdeen. Together, they set out to demonstrate that bioelectricity had profound effects everywhere in the body. What else could be dragged around by a cathode? Well, pretty much anything, as it turned out. 
The same subtle field Borgans had tried to recruit to heal wounded axons and which Mooming Poo had found guiding those spinal neurites also coaxed crawling behaviors out of skin cells, immune cells, macrophages, bone cells, and just about anything else they got their hands on. Zhao, in particular, was shocked by the sheer power these electric fields could exert. Arriving at McCaig's lab, he had expected a predictable series of events to unfold. As usual in science, he would put in some time characterizing yet another interesting factor among so many others in yet another complex biological process. Sure, the work would be important, but he suspected not thrilling or actually that consequential. It wasn't going to change the world. That's how it normally is in biology. There are too many factors involved to ever neatly pinpoint the overarching importance of a single one. This was especially true of wound healing, a farrago of interlocking growth factors, cytokines, and other contenders. Everyone has their favorite molecule, and they can show that it plays a significant role, he says. But when Zhao turned on the electricity for a healing experiment, the results blew them all out of the water. Zhao was stunned. A tiny electric field held veto power over the influence of any other growth factor or gene or anything else people had previously assumed to account for wound healing. The cells did what the electrical fields told them to do no matter what else competed for their attention. This is the hallmark of an epigenetic variable. That was when I realized we were working on something far more important than other people, even myself, had expected, Zhao told me. As evidently disruptive as their work was, for better tissue repair, for understanding of embryonic development, you name it. Among other electrophysiologists, it went largely ignored. Electricity doesn't do that. Many scientists looked at it with the distaste normally reserved for homeopathy. The Aberdeen Dream Team, however, was undaunted. They pressed on. They had only seen the first glimpses of why these fields were important. The individual cells shuffling around their petri dishes weren't the main point. After all, your body isn't made of a bunch of individual cells milling about. It's made of huge assemblies of them organized into cooperating tissues and organs. They form four main types of tissue. Apart from nervous and muscle tissue, there's also connective tissue and epithelial tissue. You know it as skin. And the Aberdeen research promised to answer the long-standing mystery of why electricity poured from these when they sustained damage. In short, you can't talk about a living system without recognizing its electrical components. We're nothing without electricity. That, of course, is our guest today, author Sally Aidy, reading from her new book, We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Body's Bioelectric Code and What the Future Holds. Let's welcome to the Not Old Better Show Inside Science series on radio and podcast science writer Sally Aidy. Sally Aidy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us and... Congratulations on your excellent book, We Are Electric. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this subject. I know our audience will be very interested. In, and, and in the book, you say that the, this field of bioelectricity that you're, you're talking about throughout the book is um, it's a misunderstood history. I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I tend to think of this as very future-looking, but there's a history to it. And I, I wonder if you'd tell us briefly about the, about the history of bioelectricity and, 
and why it's misunderstood? Yeah, sure. Um, that's a great place to start. Um, so part of the reason that I wrote this book was to disentangle some of the incredibly interesting, rigorous, and really you know, legitimate science from this history that it's often conflated with and sort of mired in, which is absolute pseudoscience. Um, and it's just, that's been the story from sort of day one for bioelectricity, unfortunately. Um, people have thought electricity could heal uh, the body of its ailments since, you know, Galen back, you know, you know, a thousand plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, people knew that, for example, um, an electric fish, if you held it to, for example, your foot, uh, it might relieve the symptoms of gout. Um, there's one uh, slightly uh, slightly less okay example where um, someone held an electric fish to uh, their nether regions to um, deal with a prolapsed anus. Hmm. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of, um, and, and migraine, I think is probably the better probably the better place to start. It's with migraine. People knew that um, something about animals that generated these sort of staticky feelings in people, these were able to cure various pains, but nobody had any idea why this was. And for, you know, the next um, 1500 years, nobody got any the wiser. Um, It was only around the 1600s, 1700s, that it was possible to create the first tools to start to investigate this phenomenon that everybody had been so curious about. So you get uh, the Leiden jar, which is uh, basically just a, a, a way of being able to capture electricity and dispense it later in a little zap. Um, you get electrostatic generators, which can create um, a supply of electricity. Um, And then all of a sudden, scientists start to begin to get to grips with this whole phenomenon of electricity sort of more broadly. So they start to try to create um, theories about it and, you know, uh, try to unify things like lightning with things like amber, which, you know, for some reason, when you rub it, it's going to attract pieces of lint to it and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, you have to put yourself in people's shoes at the time because they did not understand that any of these things were connected. And this whole phenomenon of electricity would have been so incredibly mysterious to them and, um, you know, frightening in some ways, but also just illegible. You know, after Volta invents the battery, they start using it to just sort of zap people randomly. They do it in very creative ways. There's this entire industry that springs up in the 1800s where um, you have people zapping people for depression. Um, You have people zapping people for cancer. You've got people zapping people for um, just randomly sort of sitting them in electrical baths where they just kind of charge them up. And this is said to cure any number of things, including, you know, hysteria as usual. Um, But um, loss of male vigor through various things. You have strange tools and belts and rings that are said to be electric. 
The best one is a bed called, I think it's called the Celestial Bed, where um, basically you spend the night in this bed if you're having fertility problems and something, something, electricity, and then that's supposed to help. And um, at the end of the day, electricity wasn't actually involved. There was no electricity. It was almost like a homeopathy of electricity. And the reason I'm going through all of these examples um, is because this was just a prime age for electroquacks. <laughs> and this is what most people associate. Even today, some people associate this with electrical medicine. It's like, oh yeah, those are the people who used to, <laughs> you know, who did the electrical, the celestial bed. <laughs> and it's really infected the way people think of the study of endogenous electricity. But for biology, it just wasn't, considered legitimate. And so along the way through throughout the the pseudoscience and the zapping and the celestial bed we meet Luigi Galvani who who has a, a different impact. What contrib- what contribution does he make uh, to the field of bioelectricity? So, so Galvani I would argue is the first person who provided rigorous mm-hmm. um, documentation of its exist of its existence in mm-hmm. the first place. So he's an anatomist during a really exciting time. Again, this is sort of the latter part of the 1700s. Again, we're still coming to grips with this age-old mystery. We've got the tools. You know, we're zapping a whole bunch of frogs. <laughs> um, but um, while we're trying to figure out bi- uh, electricity, there's another age-old mystery. And that is, what is the stuff in our limbs that allows the brain to you know, send messages to um, our extremities to do stuff like how does our brain control our ability to you know pick up a glass of water and drink it and um perceive uh what we're drinking and how do how do the feeling and moving parts interact with the brain this was a massive mystery nobody had any idea um and people had all these strange ideas descartes thought it was sort of a hydraulic system like you'd see in a you know garden fountain or whatever <laughs> but um galvani was not probably the first to propose that this signal was electrical in nature, but he was the first to do these really, really rigorous studies in frogs, like real, you know, um, like hardcore replication studies in an era before that was a necessity for good science. And he um, came out with this tome in 1792, and he essentially said, I believe these animal spirits, you know, this, this, this stuff in our nerves that we've been conjecturing about for thousands of years, I believe it is electrical in nature. And this set off a scientific war that divided all of Europe. Every scientist in Europe had to choose sides because Volta, the, who would go on to invent the battery, um, he uh, disagreed. He thought it was, he thought it was nonsense. And so the two of them were in this sort of battle of, you know, scientific letters amongst themselves um, for the next uh, eight years or so. And unfortunately, Galvani lost, not because he was wrong, but because Volta um, invented something that was very useful that could be immediately used for various, for just, you know, wide variety of um, uh, purposes in science. But this idea that there is an endogenous, um, electric current in the body, like uh, try as they might, they just 
nobody could figure out how to make that into something useful because there there were no tools yet to probe any deeper than he had. So the science got a bit stuck. And then actually, unfortunately, Galvani's nephew participated in some of the pseudoscience that I was just talking about in the previous uh, question. And um, essentially it drove bioelectricity, the study of it into the desert for about 40 years. So you've probably heard about microdosing. If not, just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Microdosing? What is it? You know that just right feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, when you're relaxed, focused, and a little energized, microdosing helps you get into that zone easier and stay there longer, which is exactly where I want to be. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose. Microdose Microdose.com, Microdose Gummies, Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing works. I will tell you from my own personal experience that I love how helpful the Microdose.com gummies are for me. Half a microdose gummy during the day helps me stay centered and fresh as I get everything done on my list. They also help me relax at night and really be present in the moment instead of worrying about things from that day or worrying about what's coming tomorrow. I've tried both the Granddaddy Sours and the Wild Berry flavors, and they really do taste amazing. you got to see the results. But if you taste them, you will know how amazing they taste. I've used them to help me get in the zone when I'm doing creative work. And at night, as I say, they help me wind down, chill out, and sleep like a baby. They're great for exercise, rebound, workout, and recovery. And on a related note, they're helping me have better sex. They help me feel relaxed and help me get into the moment when I'm with Gretchen. They help me feel good in my body, and I really like how the effects are noticeable with touch and sensation, but not so strong that they're distracting. All around, they're a 10 out of 10 for me. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code BETTER. B-E-T-T-E-R, better, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in our show notes today, but again, that's microdose.com and code better. Thanks, everybody. Hi, it's Paul. We will be right back with our guest, Sally Adie, about her excellent new book, We Are Electric. As I mentioned, today's show is brought to you by Sunday, as in GetSunday.com. Let's talk quickly about our sponsor, Sunday. You know, we talk about this a lot on our show, and you all know how much I enjoy being outside, especially since it's starting to get warm. And the spring weather is absolutely my favorite. It's great to have the sun on my face. And the sun on the flowers, the lawn, everything just perks right up. You know, speaking of lawn, this time of year is crucial to lawn care and prep. You may love spring, but you may not love the prep and upkeep for a beautiful lawn. What makes the spring season even better is Sunday lawn care. Where to start? (laughs) Well, 
That's where Sunday comes in. Sunday is everything you need to get the lawn you've dreamed of. No trips to the store or hauling heavy bags. Since they ship everything straight to your home, you just need a hose to apply Sunday. You can fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes to watch an episode of your favorite TV show. And Sunday only uses ingredients you can feel good about. No harsh chemicals. No long waiting periods or trying to keep your grandkids or pets off the lawn. Simply apply. Let it dry and you are back to enjoying your yard. As a matter of fact, this spring, go to GetSunday.com slash NOB and enter your address to get a customized plan created just for your lawn. Sunday is easy and affordable. Some lawn care services cost more than $1,500 a year, but Sunday's full season plans start at just $109. So for a limited time, Sunday is offering the Not Old Better Show listeners 50% off your first box. So you can get started today for as little as $55 when you go to getsunday.com slash NOB at checkout. That's 50% off your first box at getsunday.com slash NOB. All of this will be in our show notes. So thanks, everybody. And let's return to Sally Adie about her excellent book, We Are Electric. Of course, we're with Sally Adie. Sally Adie is the author of the new book, We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Body's Bioelectric Code and What the Future Holds. The book is getting great reviews. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you for generously sharing the book with me, Sally Adie. Jamie Metzl, author of Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity, said, in this fascinating book, at the next frontier of scientific discovery, Sally Adi explores the untold history of bioelectricity and sketches its tantalizing and promising future. Good stuff. And I, I want to talk to you about your own experience for just a second as we kind of take this forward with all of this foundation that you've set up for us and talk about what this all means. You participated in a game. Um, locally, we have the organization uh, DARPA, uh, the Defense uh, Research uh, Group in uh, in and around the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, you participated in the game Dar Wars Ambush, which is a military training simulation. And it was really much of that um, experience um, that you found you actually could improve areas of your ability within the game. And I wonder if you just tell us, you've told this story before, you you talk about it, of course, in the book, and I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about what happened there with that experience and and explain it and then tell us, did you actually feel a difference as you were kind of making these these steps and this improvement in your, it's your marksman accuracy, which was actually improved upon, and I wonder how that felt. Yeah, sure. Um, right. So I found out about this um, project um, that DARPA was working on at a conference that they used to hold. And I became really fascinated with this idea of this idea that you could actually use electrical stimulation to increase focus uh-huh. and, you know, make people better marksmen or uh-huh. better at math, because that's kind of what they were going for. They had They had had papers out, you know, and so I was—I pursued it for a while. I was trying to figure out how 
how I could report on it because they're not, you know, they were holding their cards kind of close to their chest. But eventually I convinced them that they would let me try it myself, which is how I was playing Dar Wars Ambush with um, a TDCS kit um, on my head. So it was really profound for me personally. I've, um, I, I always sort of the way I think of it is I didn't realize at the time I was very bad at this game, but what I really didn't realize was that I have this sort of background elevator music in my head that's all wasps, you know, and they're just buzzing around, like saying the, terrible things to me. The insects. But, you know, it's some of these things that, yeah, but it just, it just, you know, it, I, you know, that the distractingness of those wasps mm-hmm. is something I'd never fully appreciated until it got shut down, which mm. for me is what happened when they turned the electricity on. It was very mild current, you know. Um, <clears throat> But um, it was a profound experience because it just shut it all down. And then I sort of realized two things for the first time. One, that it was possible to just do things and get on with them and, you know, uh, not worry about anything around the thing that you're trying to do. (laughs) You can just do it. You can go ahead and do it. And, for me, that really improved my marksmanship. I don't know how it would have worked with for somebody else. I don't know if I'm good at it, if anybody would be good at it, if all their sort of inner critics were shut down. I have no idea. You know, I was a study of one. I wasn't actually even a study. I was just a gonzo experiment. <laughs> but um, but the other thing I realized was that I had all these wasps in my head. <laughs> and um, afterwards, I really missed it. You know, I really, I really wished that I could have one of these things of my own, but you know, this was like a $10,000 bag of kit. <laughs> like I couldn't <laughs> take one home with me. Um, and then, you know, there were a lot of, um, there are a lot of, uh, sort of brain stimulator type of a, like devices out there on the market, but, um, they, you know, I've tried some of them and it's not, it's not the same thing. You know, you're, you're, it's like, uh, I think, one of the trouble, one of the problems with TDCS, which is the technique that I tried, mm-hmm. is that they have not they have not created standards for it yet. Sometimes people will respond, and sometimes they don't. And this is the thing that you can see in every TDCS paper: some people respond very strongly, some people don't. People argue whether that that any response is placebo. But what everybody agrees on is that nobody agrees on the right stimulation parameters. You know, nobody is using these um, exactly how everybody else is doing them. How long you stimulate, what strength of current, where exactly on the head you put the anode and the cathode. It's still a grab bag, you know. And if you want bigger trials to verify these things, you need to develop the standards. So people are working on this. But, you know, the same problem is true for um, other areas of electrical medicine, you know, mm-hmm. deep brain stimulation is a godsend for people with Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. But you know, people scratch scratch a clinician, and they'll tell you they don't a hundred percent know how it works. Vagus nerve stimulation, um, you know, and also sorry, um, scratch that. Um, for deep brain stimulation, they're trying to use it for depression and obsessive compulsive disorder. But again, they're still working out what parameters work for which people and like why do some people respond. 
there are different kinds of depression. You know, that depression is not just one thing. Some people have wasps in their head like <laughs> I do. Other people just don't want to get out of bed. And you, you know, I met, I met a clinician who said that she had identified a subtype of depression that responded really, really well to TDCS. And it was the same one that I had um, uh, used. It was the same parameters that I had used. And that made me wonder, like, wow, am I, like, do, do, I, do I have, you know, undiagnosed depression? So it was just very, um, yeah, it's, it's still, as with so many things about the electrome, it is still in its infancy, but there are people who are, you know, so talented and such rigorous researchers who are working to push this forward. Our guest, of course, is Sally Aidy, who's written the new book, We Are Electric. Sally, again, thank you so much for being uh, generous and reading uh, from your book for us. Uh, that, that's just all fascinating stuff. Final question for you, because in the, in the reading, you do talk about healing wounds using bioelectricity. What else can be impacted and treated and improved upon um, for us, uh, for our bodies using bioelectricity? Um, you know, I'll, I'll stretch here and just say, you know, could this, could bioelectricity change how we treat cancer, for example? What what else is in store for us? Well, I think the most, the, the, the most salient um, sort of uh, near-term stuff is wound healing because they are starting to try to figure out how to amplify or, um, well, how to amplify the wound current. Um, and speed up healing. There's a DARPA project that's actually doing that right now. Hmm. It's not just about the electricity, but how the electricity sort of interacts with other aspects of wound healing and possibly drives it. Um, there's uh, there's other projects that are working on regeneration. Um, some of the most interesting work is going on at Tufts University. Michael Levin is working on trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, there's a big electrical difference between organisms that regenerate entire limbs like salamanders and uh, organisms that don't like us. Um, but the funny thing is um, we can regenerate. It's just, we're sort of like a time dependent regenerator and a tissue dependent regenerator. So when you are in the womb, uh, when you're just like a fertilized egg uh, or sorry, a blastocyst, when you have two cells, somebody cuts you in half, you turn into identical twins, right? Um, a little bit later in the womb, you um, heal scarlessly um, until you are about uh, between 7 and 11 years old. If somebody cuts off the tip of your finger, it will regenerate perfectly, including the nail. But this regenerative ability sort of wanes as we um, get older um, until there's actually a big difference between the wound current. There's, um, your wound current is twice as weak when you're over 65 as it is when you're under 25. Hmm. So there's a lot of research that is trying to accelerate that. But more interestingly, Le Mike Levin is trying to figure out if we wanted to just re-engage the electrical processes that formed us in the first place, do we mimic regenerators or do we go back to the capabilities we had much earlier, you know, in our life. And so that's like a very open question right now, but there's been really interesting research. Some of these people have been able to regrow like pretty functional appendages on frogs and mice 
at, you know, stages where you're just normally no, you know, regrowth takes place. You know, normally it's just like if you cut off a leg, you know, you just scar. So regeneration is a really incredible area that I think we would watch out for. The other area is cancer. And there are two Hmm. sort of potential, there are two potential ways that electricity is relevant in the future of cancer. Um, The first one is that, um, and I just want to sort of stress here that a lot of the stuff is, a lot of the stuff is in tadpoles. There is stuff coming um, that is a little bit more um, advanced, but uh, so the first thing is um, you have um, when cancer cells, when cells transition from being healthy to being cancerous, they start to oscillate. Um, They start to behave a lot like nerve cells in that they are signaling. Normally, you know, cells that aren't excitable, which means cells outside the nervous system, they don't oscillate. They don't send like action potential type signals. But in many cancers, they do start to do that. Um, A researcher called Mustafa Jamgaz at um, Imperial College here in the UK started studying this in the late 90s and nobody wanted to believe him because it was just too weird but he kept at it and now it's quite well understood that they that cells that cancer cells have this property and they think that it has to do with cancer cells signaling to each other that it's time to invade you know that it's time to metastasize mm-hmm. and as you probably know metastasis is what is responsible for most of the deaths that, you know, are attributable to cancer. You die of the metastasis, not like a little tumor that doesn't go anywhere. So what um, what they're trying to do is figure out why these oscillations happen. And if you, if you stop them, they think you will be able to keep a tumor sort of sheltering in place rather than exploring all over the body, which is really interesting because that is um, the subject of a cancer strategy that I think is really interesting for people who are um, for people who are, you know, older. You know, maybe you're not, um, you know, and it's you have you have a tumor. Adding, you know, an extra ten or twenty years to your life, this um, isn't a bad strategy. Like you don't want to sort of go full tilt, um, you know chemo, radiation, um, sometimes, and I want to be careful here, but sometimes that can reduce your quality of life Mm -hmm. and not add a lot of time to your life. This is a way, this is not like, this isn't going to be like the cure for all cancer. It is a way to keep certain cancers from metastasizing, which would make cancer something more akin to a chronic disease than, um, you know, something where you, the the goal is to eradicate it at all costs. The work is so fascinating. Like it is, this is in tadpoles. So (laughs) this is like, you know, this is, this is ages away. But the the thing about it that's so cool is that they showed that, you know, those potentials that I was talking about with the cell where it's like, you know, nerve cells are minus 70, 
you know, fat Mm -hmm. cells minus 50, Mm -hmm. any of these cells, when they turn cancerous, they depolarize and they go shooting right back up to zero. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I have to stress this is in tadpoles and it was, but it was, it was just astonishing that you can do that. You could just like hit a switch in biology and, you know, do something. So, you know, at such a macro scale. This is also fascinating. I, I know you're working on another book. I, I hope you'll come back. I hope, uh, you know, we can have you back and talk about all this and and more because I know I know our audience is just going to love it. I and my, my best to you and and thank you for persevering through uh, the technology as well as um, your travel back to the United States. Mm-hmm. My best to you and your family and and um, please do co- come back and visit us. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really, uh, it's a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you, Sally. My thanks to Sally 80 for her time today and generous reading. I know you always enjoy hearing authors read from their books. Sally's book is We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Bodies, Bioelectric Code, and What the Future Holds. My thanks to our sponsors, Microdose.com, Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect, entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And Sunday, as in GetSunday.com, a new kind of lawn care, easier, smarter, better for people, pets, and planet. GetSunday.com. Please support our sponsors, who in turn support the show. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Remember, just Google Not Old Better for everything you need to know about us. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week.